1 John chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 18. 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as, but as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Yeah, we have another challenging passage. Let's pray. Father, help us always to be thankful and grateful for the scriptures, the sacred scriptures, that shows your grace, your mercy, your compassion, because they're full of warnings, and they remind us of how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in this world, and how we're supposed to walk with you in this world. So give us wisdom, Father, as we come now to this passage, to, to hear what your word has to say to us. Holy Spirit, do a great work in our hearts. Convict us of our sin. Bring us to true repentance and forgiveness. If we find ourselves on the other side of this church, help us, Father. Help us to always hold fast the truth. Help us to honor you through the truth. Because our eternal life depends on it. So, Father, thank you again that we can be here this morning, that we can come in person, and that we come sit under your word, which is there to correct us and rebuke us and refute us and teach us and also train us in righteousness. So we can walk and offer up our members as dead to sin and alive to God. Help us, Father, please. Help me now to be clear and understood. Help me to be faithful to your word. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a quick note on two books that you want to read in your own time. One is No Place for Truth, or Whatever Happened to Evangelical Theology by David F. Wells. It's a very good book. It's been out for a long time. I read it in 2001 when someone challenged me. It's a good book. And then MacArthur has also written a good book on The Truth War. It's another good book that if you want to read more about The Truth War. Looking at this passage that is before me, there's so much that we can get sidetracked and we can look at, let's try to work out who the Antichrist is. 
Is that what the passage is teaching us? Do you know the word Antichrist is only mentioned four times and it's mentioned here in John's Gospel? In other passages you talk about the man of lawlessness, the man of sin. In other passages you talk about the beast. But we're going to, we'll mention that as we go along. But for me, this passage is all about a battle for truth. That's why I read 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 where the church must uphold the truth it's the pillar and foundation of the truth and the question for us put forward to us is do we know how this battle of truth comes about are we aware that is there is a battle of truth out there or are we in a battle of truth do you experience that in your own lives, in our own lives. Do we know how to identify the people who cause this battle for truth? Do we know how to resist these people who bring about this battle of truth? Because when we look at the church, there is a battle of truth in the church, which we'll see, but there's also a battle of truth outside the church. There's people outside that will fight the church with truth, and there's people inside the church that will come up as wolves. And we'll see that now. But we must remember that our battle of truth is not against flesh and blood. Scripture tells us in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our, our fight, our wrestle, is not against flesh and blood. But does that mean we don't have a battle on the ground? Does that mean that we don't have a battle at all? Does it mean we can just sit back and see? Our fight is not a, a fight on the ground. We can just sit back and pray. Well, this is telling us that our battle is not a battle of weapons. That we must go around shooting and killing people because they don't believe what we believe. It's a spiritual battle, meaning we take God's word and we sow it into the hearts of people. That is the spiritual battle. It's not me going there with my cleverness, my eloquent words of wisdom, my opinions and my smartness and trying to convince people they're wrong, I'm right. All we have to do is take scripture. It's on the ground and we use scripture to fight our battle. Because... There's a spirit at work in the sons of disobedience. And it was once at work, it was once at work in my own heart until God saved me. So there's an enemy that comes from outside the church. We know how the world is putting so much pressure on the church because we don't agree with some of the things they say about homosexuality or transgender or abortion or male and female. But there's also an enemy within the church. And this is the enemy that we should be really aware of as well. Concerned for. Paul, when he left the church of Ephesus, he said to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Oh, what a man. To care for the church of God. How much do we actually care for the church of God today? Do we really care for the church of God? 
That we want to be on a Sunday because we want to hear the word, because we want to battle for truth out there. Or do we just take church as it comes and goes? Paul says, I've made you overseers to care for the church of God. And the overseers are the elders and the teachers, so they can help the people in the congregation also to care for the church of God. Which he, that's, that's Jesus, obtained with his own blood. Because I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among, from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And that happens. People come in and they're happy and yes, we love your church and, and maybe a year later they're attacking the theology of the church or they're attacking the foundations of the church. I'm not talking about secondary stuff like baptism or, or, or how we should sing or what songs we should sing. It is important, but I'm talking about foundational stuff. Anti-Christ stuff. Anti-Jesus stuff. Anti-church stuff. Anti-Bible stuff. Or anti-doctrine and theology stuff. Because from within our own selves, false teachers will arise. And they will attack us, but they will attack God's word. And God's word is truth. Jesus said, your word is truth. God's word is truth. And, and how can we think, and it's amazing that when we think of that people that claim to be Christians, even pastors, would attack the very thing of God. It's truth. Our Bible is the final standard and only standard of truth. A quote coming from a great theologian. God is the true God and that all His knowledge and words are both true and the final standard of truth. That's it. Yeah, we have the, all the truth and the final standard of truth. So if you want to start and find out if something has truth in it, you start with God. You don't start with man. Otherwise you end up with a man-centered solution. Not a Christ or God-centered solution, which is based on truth. Jesus himself said, Jesus the Son of God, said to his Father, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The true God, in the true God is truth. And John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. What is truth? Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is truth. Want to learn about truth? Read the Gospels. Want to see how to walk in truthfulness? Read the Gospels. And Jesus shared with us and has given us His Spirit, the Spirit of truth who lives in us so that we can now walk in truth. And we can speak the truth in love with a tender heart. John has already warned us in this letter that there's conflict between light and darkness, between love and hatred, between loving the world and loving the Father. You can't, have, have, you can't be on the fence. You're either loving God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, or you're loving the world. You cannot love both. And we looked at that over the last two weeks at verses 15 to 17 of 1 John chapter 2. 
But here our focus is on truth. And Jesus is the truth and he walked in truth. Therefore we must also walk in the same way in which Jesus walked and that is in truth. We forget that. We know we must walk in light, we must walk in love, but are we walking in truth? Clothed in love and compassion. Because there is an enemy and the enemy wants to destroy God's church and his people. And the enemy is really all false teaching. And all what the enemy wants to do is make us go astray. Literally cause us to wander away from the shepherd and overseer of our hearts. So as we look now at 1 John chapter 2, at these verses, and we won't get through all of them. John helps us to recognize the enemy, the enemy and how to resist the enemy. And that's what we're going to look at. Just two facts from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27, to help us battle for truth. Because we need to fight for truth. We need to know that we're in a battle. And it's a good battle. We do it in love and, and, and gentleness and kindness. We don't bring out our, our weapons, our physical weapons. We don't do it in anger, in hatred. We're not here to save people or convince people. We're here just to sow the truth. And speak it as well as we sow the truth. We're not here to spice up the gospel. We're not here to make it look appealing to people. Just speak it plainly. That the Holy Spirit can do His great work in, in, in people's hearts. Work of conviction and judgment and righteousness. So the first fact to help us battle for truth is to know who the enemy is. And we see this in this passage, especially in verse 22 of 1 John chapter 2. And we're told that the enemy is the Antichrist. Well, verse 22 of 1 John chapter 2 reads, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And the Antichrist is the liar. And he also denies that Jesus is the Christ. He's a liar. He serves the father of lies. Another quote, lovely quote. John's Antichrist is a Christological rebel. He's against everything that Jesus teaches and Jesus wants us to know. He's against the person and work of Jesus. The doctrine, person and work of Jesus. And we must know that the Antichrists are at work in this world. We know what it read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. It read, children... It is the last hour. And as you have heard that, that that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. Before we look at the Antichrist and Antichrist, what does John mean here by the last hour? Because if John means the last hour in his time, then he's led us astray. Then he's contradicted himself. He's lied to us. Because the last hour, is many years have gone by. So what does John mean by the last hour? Did he mean that in his time, Jesus was going to return? No. It doesn't mean that at all. It means, like it's meant to mean in the New Testament, it's between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ 
Or you can say between Pentecost and the Perusia, when Jesus returns for his church. But between the first coming and the second coming of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ, the church is under siege. It's in crisis days. And how often we make our churches look nice and comfortable, but the church is actually under siege. From within at times and from the outside. Think about it. We're surrounded by the world today. We're not surrounded by Christians. Christians aren't around us outside. We're under siege. And if you know if you're under siege, just go there and speak to them about the truth, about some of the things the world is telling us about male and female, about life and death. We need to know that we are in the last hours. It's the time that we live in which is called the last hour. Also because God our Father has only one more appointment on the calendar to fulfill before Jesus Christ returns. And that's going to be judgment, then the consummation. And then we're going to be in glory if we are His children. We'll have glorified bodies living in the new heavens and new earth. But, yeah, I, don't, I don't want to get caught up in the Antichrist, but there is a time before Jesus comes, there could be a very powerful figure, a wicked figure, who the Bible calls Antichrist with a capital A. It could be the man of sin in 1 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, or the man of lawlessness, or it could be the beast in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 to 10. Almost everybody in the Western world has some familiarity with the word Antichrist. If you know anything about the Bible, then the word Antichrist comes up. You think immediately about a vicious beast who arises at the end of human history and is overpowered by Satan, as empowered by Satan, sorry, dominates the world and forces everybody to worship him. And this person will massacre people all over the world, especially those who confess Jesus Christ. But like this one commentator says that like he says here, the small number of references, however, does not mean that the antichrists in the world are not a force to be reckoned with. Or that the coming antichrist is not perhaps the same powerful and diabolical figure as the beast in Revelation 13, 1-10 and the man of lawlessness in, one, in, one, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Think about it. And, and I say this out of love. And I'm sensitive to what I'm going to say. Muslims deny Jesus as the Son. Jews deny Jesus as the Christ. Christians shouldn't get offended if we label them anti-Christ. They're all around us. Anybody that's anti-Jesus, anti-Christ, mm -hmm. his teachings, his truths. The enemy is obvious but not easily overcome. We're not on the lookout for an emerging secret society or some mysterious political figure. How often have you heard Hitler was the Antichrist or Stalin 
or Barack Obama or Trump. But like it says here in this passage, as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Is anybody that is against Christ and his church, his teachings? But we can carry on. We can become experts at trying to figure out who the Antichrist is going to be. Is it the Pope? I, I don't know. Or is it some special wicked force that is behind all of this? Like another commentator says. The satanic force. The spiritual forces of this darkness. That's why it's a spiritual battle. But the, the point of this passage, and we can, we can miss out, is it's all about the truth. John is showing us who the enemy is. It's the Antichrist. Then he shows us how we can, how we can um, resist them, which we'll look, Lord willing, next week. How we resist the Antichrist or Antichrists. But John, in chapter, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, also talks about the spirit of the Antichrist, which is behind every false doctrine. The spirit of the Antichrist is in the world today. And John helps us to identify the Antichrist in, in our passage. He tells us that they had been part of the church, but they went out from us. They, they depart from the fellowship of the church. Now, it doesn't mean that if someone's been in our church and they don't agree with what we teach about election and they go to another church, it doesn't mean they're the Antichrist because they've departed from us. As Christians, we can start calling everybody Antichrist or we can start labeling. That's not love, that's hatred. So we've got to get this right. It's someone that has come into the church that has loved Jesus and now is not with us anymore. They've started some cult. And they're anti everything that Jesus taught. Like the resurrection or the virgin birth or whatever they want to break down in the foundations of our theology, our doctrines. Like someone says, they begin life inside the church and for a time they gave the impression that they were truly saved. But then in the time, in the time came that they abandoned the fellowship of the church and so showed that they had never been truly saved. Because if they were truly saved, they would have continued in fellowship with Christ's church and his people. And I, and I say this again, because I'm here to uphold the truth. If people say they don't need to be in a church today, they don't need to, to, to have the church in their life, they can still continue as a Christian, they're also anti-Christ. Because they're teaching everything that Jesus has taught about the church. It's his body. So how can we say we don't need the church when it's his body? We are anti the truth that is taught in the scriptures. I think we need to, there is a battle for truth, but we've also become tolerant. I know people that have been in our church, they've said they don't need church. They can get on with our church. We don't need to live, we don't need to come to church anymore. We can have church on the TV. That's because we're not upholding the truth in the pulpit. We're not speaking the truth. We're not saying to the people's no. What does God's word say? We actually commanded to come to church on a Sunday. To come and have fellowship so we can stir each other up to love and good works. So we keep loving through our struggles. Keep doing good works through the hard times that we are in. 
We all need encouragement. We all need to be encouraged. There are times you just feel like, oh, I don't feel like going on anymore. Is it worth it? Why not just resign and do something easy? But no, we have to stir each other up. We have, to, we have to stimulate each other to love and good works. We have to stimulate each other to hold fast the confessions of our faith. Hold fast the truth, the gospel of truth. Because we have the spirit of truth that lives in us. And we need to keep on with true fellowship. We need to keep on and encouraging people to come back to church. Because God's word is the truth and he tells us in his word that we're supposed to fellowship together in his body, the church. And if you're still not 100% sure, we are, we are told in Ephesians, He has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. And he's talking about Jesus, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 22. Colossians also talks about the body, Christ's body being the church. And once we start speaking against those things, I think we become anti-Christ and his teachings and Jesus' teachings. And these are not easy things to say, but if I have to... If I have to speak the truth, I have to speak the truth, what God's Word says. Sometimes I actually wish I hadn't started this letter, because I thought this letter is going to be a lovely letter to encourage us, but it's actually challenging me more about my own heart. Do I walk in the light? Do I love my neighbor? Do I love my father more than this world? And here it is, do I love the truth? Am I, am I going to contend for the truth every day? Or am I going to sit back and let people walk over the truth? Because this world is on a down spiral. Because the church is not standing up for the truth. And the Christians will go down with it. We're in the world with unbelievers. And we will suffer with them and we will go down. But we are, if we have eternal life, death cannot harm us. Beware of the man that can kill both the body and the soul. And that's God. This world can only kill the body. But we need to know that if we are going to be saved, then we must endure to the end with Christ's church and his people. Someone said this verse and the others are, are solemn reminders to us that false-hearted professors can appear to be true-hearted believers. One thing I love about God's Word and about God is that you cannot hide from this God. You cannot hide your truths. You can come here on a Sunday and dress up as a Christian and go home and live as you please. That's fine with me. But it's not fine with God. When I say it's fine with me, it's fine with me because I can't see what you're doing. But if I see what you're doing, then I can come and bring the scriptures and in love rebuke and, and correct. But God sees everything. And He's seen exactly what goes in our hearts as we sit here. 
He knows how much of the how much of his word and his truth you love and hold on to. That's the difference between the Christian and the Antichrist Christian. The Antichrist Christian will not continue to the end. They turn back in the face of if there's tribulation or if there's persecution or they, they can drift away if they're seduced by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Or how it normally starts is that you're in this church, and this is how it starts. You're in this church, there's someone outside the church that has some negative things to say about the church, not generally this church or the label, but the church generally and about Jesus' teachings. And they will start sowing and poisoning your mind to say, you know what, you don't need to be in a church. You are the church, which is true. And you can have fellowship with people on the TV. We can have fellowship. We can go for coffee. We can go to a Bible study. We don't need to be part of a, of a church, the body of a church. And then that starts playing on your mind. And when you meet them two months later, they say the same things again. And that, and that thing gets stronger and stronger in your mind. And then, you, then they give you a book to read. Or they give you some passages that they've taken out of context to read. And all what happened is you're becoming more and more captive to do Satan's will than God's will. And that's why we need to be in the scriptures, which we'll see, Lord willing, next week. And that's why in verse 22 of 1 John chapter 2, it tells us that the Antichrist denied that Jesus is the Christ. They deny that faith is in Christ Jesus. They deny everything that Jesus teaches and, and is. He's not the anointed one. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Son of God. And all they deny is the truth of Jesus' incarnation, that He's come in the flesh. As someone said, the Antichrists are anti-supernaturalists. They refuse to believe the plain teaching of God's Word concerning the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who's come in the flesh to save us. He's come... To, to show us the truth, because He is the truth. He's come to witness and testify about the truth. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these religious leaders were so far from God, yet they thought they knew God and were with God all the way, because they drifted from the truth. And John, this loving, caring, compassionate pastor, writing at like 80 years old, he says there in verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Those that are trying to deceive the faithful Christian, the faithful brother and sister. So they can lead them astray. And they sow lies and they take scripture out of context and they distort everything. Because they have it. one thing is they just want you to follow them and believe what they say. But when we do confront people like this, we need to, in love and gentleness, help them see the truth. Don't get angry. Don't lose it. It's not in your hands, it's in God's hands. You can't convince people, but you can sow the truth into their hearts and hopefully the Holy Spirit. I love what, um, what Paul, this, this amazing man, full of wisdom, writes to Timothy in chapter 2. He says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, 
but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, so God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's why it's a spiritual battle. Because the God of this age has blinded the minds of both the unbeliever and Christians that profess to be Christians, but they, they maybe they were never Christians in the first place. So it's a spiritual battle. We have to take Scripture. But our conduct and how we do it is also important. Because we live in a climate of theological error, false teaching and lies. I was saying to Catherine the other day, and I'll just take this as an example, we've got the virus. And around the virus, there's so much confusion, say, about the virus, about the vaccines, that no one is actually taking the lead and helping majority of the people to understand this is what it's all about. There are some people trying, and we give them they do. So you've got the virus, and there's so much confusion around it. Then you've got the truth that the church upholds. Exactly the same thing. There is so much confusion about what is true and not true in the church. Because everybody is not leaning on the Bible where they should go for the truth. They lean on their inner voice, their subjectism, their feelings. Listen to your heart, listen to your gut. Which is all false. It's all a myth. If you want to know what's true, pick up the Bible. It will tell you exactly what's true and what is not true. Is it right to murder someone? We can tell you. We can all say, no, it's not. Is that true? Yes. Because we know from Scripture what is true. So we need to know that there's a, there's a theological error of, of, of war out there, false teaching and lies. And Lord willing, next week we will, we will learn how to resist because God has given us the Holy Spirit who lives in us to resist the Antichrists. The false teachers, the enemy. That's why when we come to the cross this morning, as I close, we know on the cross Jesus died to conquer the flesh, the world, the enemy, Satan, and death. And on the cross, he died and was buried. And on the third day, according to the scriptures, he rose. And he's conquered death. He's conquered the grave. There's no corruption. He's alive. He's risen. So we can face tomorrow with all its fears. But also, so that he can give us his spirit of truth and to help us turn from worshipping the Father of lies now to worshipping the Heavenly Father of truth and walking in truth and speaking the truth in love. People are craving for truth. Unbelievers are craving just for someone to be truthful about this virus or the vaccine. And like I said, there are people that are being truthful and true about it. But people don't want to listen to it. Why? Because there's a, a crowd that also suppresses that truth. And the same thing in the church. There's the truth. And there are pastors that are trying to speak the truth in love to the people in the church. But again, there's a, a majority or minority that suppress the truth. Because they think they know more. And it's quite simple. We need to hold fast the truth. This is the household of God, the church of the living God, and it's the fortress 
and buttress or foundation of the truth, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And as pastors, we should uphold the truth. We can all go out there and live and walk in truth and speak the truth in love with a tender heart and be truthful to people and stop lying. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this passage. Thank you again for John's courage, wisdom, boldness to confront these false teachers, antichrists, Mm -hmm. that were amongst these believers that were once with them and went out and now on the outside trying to stir up, mislead them, lead them astray, cause them to shipwreck. And we know, Father, we'll hear next week, at the end of the day, our eternal life is at stake when we mess around with the truth. So, Father, thank you now for this passage. Forgive us when we do sometimes act and walk in unbelief. We don't trust your word and, and all that you've said. Be merciful to us, Father. But help us to stand up for the truth. It's a battle of truth. Help us to fight for the truth. But let us do it in a way that we can still shine our light and be the salt in the lives of people. So thank you now, Father, for this, for this passage. Have mercy upon us. Help us, Father, to abide in you and in your Son. Because we have the promise that was made to us eternal life. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.